Yeah? Okay. Everyone else can hear me on the other side. We're trying out some new technology today. So I don't want me to cut into our time. But uh, just type in the box if you can hear me. So what I was hoping to discuss today was the way in which this, what I call the second wave of coronavirus will hit the Middle East after its initial introduction into not just the uh, Morocco uh, all the way in the West to uh, Afghanistan all the way in the East, but what I would consider to be the epicenter of the coronavirus in Iran. Over 1,000 Iranians have died. Tens of thousands are infected by the virus. There's not one region in the country which has not seen an Iranian stricken with this pandemic and this plague. But the focus for American interests should not just be in Iran itself, but also in the countries that we consider to be our allies in the region and how they will deal with this. Because as the crisis in Iran gets worse, and we know this from the way in which the regime acts, they're more likely to react outside of the regime to distract from what's actually going on at home. So let's give a quick overview of what's actually going on within the Middle East and the Gulf countries, which is the subject of this webinar today. First and foremost, I would consider the worst place to have been hit so far by the coronavirus in the Gulf is actually the nation state of Qatar. This is for three reasons. Number one, Qatar has an imbalance of about 15% native Qataris and 85% of its residents being domestic laborers who either support the Qatari economy through blue collar positions in building or through white collar positions in trying to provide services to Qatari nationals. Now of that blue collar population, there are over a million laborers who are involved with the construction of stadiums for the Qatari World Cup set to take place in 2022. Of that, the conditions are one of squalor. On this program with the Middle East uh, Forum, or on a Middle East Forum program a few weeks ago, we had the Director of Amnesty International's uh, Northeast Africa and Middle East branch, where he was saying that there are six to seven individuals sharing a bed in these labor camps. Now, one of the recommendations for coronavirus is social distancing, meaning that we should be at least six feet away from one another. If you have six people to a bed, you can imagine the kind of conditions, the fertile conditions which are right for an outbreak of the pandemic of coronavirus in a country like Qatar, where they have very, very meager and um, off-putting, I think, labor conditions, which will actually make the situation worse in that country. So the desire for sports glory will only actually lead to an increase in the pandemic. The United Arab Emirates, on the other hand, I would categorize as having the best response to the coronavirus. If you arrive at Doha, excuse me, if you arrive at Dubai or Abu Dhabi uh, airports, you'll initially get off your plane and you'll immediately be taken in to a waiting station where you'll have your temperature screened. And if you are indicating any signs of coronavirus, whether it be a high fever, a cough, shortness of breath, you'll be taken to the side. Every other passenger who arrives in country is immediately put into a government-ran 14-day quarantine. They've gotten down their reaction to the coronavirus to a science. Other Middle Eastern countries uh, in the Gulf Cooperation Council, the GCC, which have been able to also deal with this well, include Kuwait, which has similar measures to the Emirates, Oman, also the same, Bahrain, which has actually been stricken with an outpour of Iranian nationals who were in country and had actually been blamed on infecting Bahraini nationals, and of course, Saudi Arabia with the most draconian reaction to the coronavirus. This is essentially instituting a dusk until dawn curfew, shutting down entire hospitals. For instance, King Faisal Hospital was just shut down 
because one anesthetist was diagnosed with the coronavirus. And even beyond that, you have the Saudis now shutting down Mecca and Medina. As Daniel Pipes, the president of our organization, indicated in a tweet a few uh, days ago, he can't remember a time that Mecca and Medina was ever shut down during the entire uh, history of its import to Islam and the, the Islamic faith in Muslims. So we have seen a varying degree of different responses to this. Qatar, I think, is the one who is the worst off and who really isn't doing too much to take care of his own problem. Yeah, they're taking care of Qatari nationals, but at the same time, they're not really doing too much to take care of the 85% of the population that's there that's not of Qatari blood. Now, we also said we would talk about the American response. And Stacey, I do want to get the questions. So I'll give another minute and then we'll open it up. The American response is also critical on twofold, on, on, on two, two levels. Number one, it's in our interest to help the nations which we ally with. We have forces in Saudi. We have the largest Air Force base in the Middle East in Qatar. Uh, we have our Navy that's stationed in Bahrain. We have many of our forces which are also in uh, the United Arab Emirates with another important air, air base there and, and uh, also in Kuwait. It's a forward operating base. It's also where we would withdraw if we, ever, if we were ever to leave Iraq. But it's not so much about taking care of the nationals. It's keeping a level of force readiness of American forces to deal with issues that Iran might bring to the table or other agitators might bring to the table because they're trying to lash out because of the coronavirus in their backyard. We saw a mortar attack on a U.S. base which took place, multiple U.S. bases which took place in Iraq just a few days ago. The U.S. response was to level the bases of Iraqi militias. Syria is still a thorn in the side of the American national security strategy. And the ever-present issue of the Persian Gulf also sticks with us. And what we saw last May with the Iranians blowing up shipping tankers can happen again. I'm not saying that it will, but just th today, the Ayatollah of Iran, Khamenei, blamed the virus on an American strain that he alleges the Americans introduced, going back to our original topic of conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories from last week. So, Stacey, with all of that in mind, I'd be glad to uh, take some questions. All right. Thank you so much, Greg. We have our first one. Can you look ahead to the effects on Israel's Middle East relationships after the virus crisis ends? Well, I think right now we had this nadir from the start of the Trump administration, even beforehand. I mean, once the Obama administration had really jettisoned Israel, in terms of the level of importance that it had, had to the U.S.-Israel national security relationship, it started looking for other allies. And I think that what you have now is a unique situation where Israel was in the throes of January and February, the greatest thaw in its relations with Middle Eastern and, and Arab states. And now all of a sudden, Israel's become back to the 1948 to 1967 version of Israel, where it's in a virtual state of isolation and quarantine. But instead of this time being decided on by the Arabs, it's being decided on by the Israelis themselves. And this is, this is a, I think, a unique bump in, in what's happening. I mean, we didn't have this conversation to, to be scheduled about Israel. We'll hear a lot about that on Wednesday with Ashley Perry during the Israel Insider um, uh, webinar that we'll be doing. But in general, I think that once the pandemic dissipates, Israel will be able to offer three things to the Gulf Arab states. One, a vaccine. Two, cutting edge technology and how to mitigate uh, individuals who actually have the virus. There's even an app right now for tracking uh, coronavirus uh, carriers, if you want to call it that. And the third thing is, is to know how, how to scale it up. I mean, if Israel can deal with a country of 8 million, 
and be able to vaccinate everyone once it's introduced. Or even right now, they're producing um, millions of pills of anti-malaria medication, which is in some studies shown the ability to fight back against the pandemic. It'll also introduce that to the Arab states. We even had one uh, uh, Iranian uh, scholar or religious scholar who was then batted down after he said it, saying it wouldn't be haram, it wouldn't be against Islam to accept an Israeli-engineered vaccination. So uh, that's the areas of cooperation that we could potentially see. Great, thank you. Uh, what is the economic impact on these countries of the dramatic decline in the price of oil? Uh, in particular, how will this affect Qatar's continuing support of Hamas? So Qatar doubled down on their support for Hamas just this morning, announcing a $150 million aid package to Gaza. So there's no politics like pandemic politics is something that the Qatari Sheikh might probably say. And in doing so, we find him that he's taking again advantage of a global crisis to try to stick his finger in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by floating all of Gaza's healthcare system for the next year, which is the budget of basically what he gave today. And that's probably just the first gift of many. Now, as it relates to the oil economy, the fight which is going on right now between Saudi Arabia and Russia, uh, 30 second quick interlude, about a year and a half ago, there was the OPEC plus agreement, which all the countries of OPEC, the oil cartel, agreed to have their prices set at the same rate as the Russian oil market. This was disrupted when the American shale industry took off, leading America to become the largest exporter of oil in the world and also the largest producer of oil after Trump uh, sort of let the American economy go off back, uh, I guess, about three years ago now. And what we came to was the Saudis deciding to flood the market with oil, violating the Russian plus agreement, and at the same, uh, the OPEC plus agreement with Russia. And then Russia's response was to flood the oil market with even more. So that paired with the utter economic devastation, which is going on now throughout the rest of the, um, of the, uh, of the world, I guess, puts the price of oil at its lowest point, at least since I think 2000 is something that we had seen. I don't see the oil markets going up the long-term implications for the Arab economies is they'll be able to raise the price of oil, but in doing so with such a glut of supply that they've put into the markets, they're gonna take a hit now. But I think comparatively, it'll be less worse for them since everyone else around the world is also suffering. Great, thank you for that. Um, does Israeli intelligence have any figures on the actual Iranian cases slash uh, like I said, it's in the tens of thousands. Every province is affected, every city is affected, over a thousand are dead. And you know that when the Ayatollah starts spinning conspiracy theories about the United States being the origin of a special strain of the virus only meant to target Iran, then they're in trouble. So I don't have specific numbers from Israeli intelligence, but the reporting out of the WHO is as reliable as any other agency might have. Do you believe the Iranian leadership thinks the United States created the virus, or is this misinformation distributed for public consumption in Iran? Uh, it's definitely misinformation. This is a long line of conspiracy theories that they've put forward dealing with the United States since the advent of the Islamic Republic back in 1979. It follows a pattern, and I think, unfortunately, we'll see even more misinformation coming out of the, uh, out of the regime. What I'm, wor what I'm worried about, Stacey, is what, what the, they will do with the misinformation. For instance, if they justify a terror attack against an American target, or God forbid they even engage in bio-warfare or bioterrorism against the United States or our allies, that's something that could really be a mess. Along those lines, 
Uh, how do you see the policy towards the West changing? West changing. Uh, the Middle East policy, the Gulf, the Gulf countries' policies towards the West. So, I mean, again, Israel is one country outside of the Gulf which had a complete lockdown. But countries like Qatar, uh, the United Arab Emirates, Kuwait have shut off all air traffic to the West. Uh, the UAE was actually involved in a few projects dealing with Western European countries on the national security level and also an economic level, weapons purchases, um, bond issuings, their banks were getting ready for a big reform which was taking place. Everything has frozen now. All of these countries are now looking inside and they're spending money outside to bring more supplies to be able to deal with the crises that are affecting their own countries. So it's basically every country for themselves right now. Great, thank you. Um, do you believe that Israel should support international call for the U.S. to temporarily lift at least some of the sanctions on Iran for humanitarian reasons? No, no sanctions should be lifted. You could provide the country with aid without having to give them any cash. And how is IVP compared to uh, uh, Sorry, how is it affected by the affected by the oh. how are our efforts right. so i mean in general one of the things about um israel and i might really like stacy to stay on the topic of, of gulf arab states and the pandemic but um in general the israelis right now are looking inwards trying to figure out a way in which to broadcast national solidarity without having to worry about a um a uh, political conundrum which is taking place right now in the country. And we'll talk more about that on Wednesday. But uh, IVP isn't halted. It's a good time for writing. It's a good time for analysis. And as soon as this pandemic goes by the wayside, I'm sure the Palestinians will find an opportunity to miss an opportunity and engage with conflict with Israel again. Great. So if there's one takeaway from all this, what do you want our listeners to know? Our listeners to know. What I really want our listeners to understand is, is that the Iranian uh, center, the, this, this ground zero of the coronavirus in the Middle East is something that portends a great national security danger, not just for the Gulf Arab states, but also for the American forces which are stationed there. I mean, every single base and every single, excuse me, every single country that we spoke about has a significant involvement with the U.S. national security strategy for the Middle East through U.S. Central Command. And if we don't provide assistance to these countries, and on the other side, if we don't learn some of their best practices, which they've been taking and perhaps adopted here in the United States, Iran will take advantage of that. And that's something which I think is not as great as a threat as this pandemic right now, but on the horizon, the potential for Iranian agitation to take advantage of this crisis is one that I would not take out of the potential deck of cards that they're playing with right now. Iran is playing with a deck full of jokers, and we have to understand that every single play that we make and every single response that we have with this virus. Okay, so what do you think would be Israel's response to this transfer of the infected Iranian Revolutionary Guards to Lebanese hospitals? That, that's a, that's a, quite a question. I mean, there's still flights which are going from Beirut to Tehran and also from Damascus to uh, Tehran. Um, I, I think that there's no Lebanese which are passing over the border with Israel, nor are there any Syrians which are doing that. The worst case scenario, I guess, could happen is about mass infection related to uh, mass human migration. But um, I think that that's something for the Lebanese to worry about, not the Israelis. We'll take one more. 
should Israel attach any conditions to future aid it may give the Arab states? No, I think right now it's time for the Israelis to come with their palms open to give as much goodwill as possible. And hopefully the Arabs will reciprocate on the other end. I mean, if you have a civilization saving vaccine, which could potentially be introduced, then that goes a long way to establish rapport rapprochement between countries. Thank you so much, Greg, for all that information. Uh, we have come to the close of our webinar. There will be a short survey to fill out at the end to better help us serve you. We'll also be sending out information on our upcoming webinars. We will have our weekly updates and, um, as well as individual. Uh, please sign in for the Middle East Forum's Israel Office Advisor, Mr. Ashley Perry, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll also be having a webinar on Friday as well. We'll send out the information. Thank you all again for joining us, and we hope to see you on our next one.